perfect supper beer or a cold libation. Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme. I went and took a call from brother Jason, and he tells me that he has a little dream. He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast, and I ask him what you got. He said, I'll start up with some talking and some moody clips and popcorn fighting, fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation, kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing, full month horror movie marathon. Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on, contest and the push, you know it's all about games. I said, slow down, let's just start with the name. It's the Nerds RPG Variety. The other Jason. Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host, Jason. Today is a mailbag episode, and I'm going to answer questions from listeners. That Those questions are going to lead us to talk about systems for noir. What is noir? We're going to talk about the Hayes Code. We're going to talk about a movie recommendation I have. If you want to see the way the tech level for like journalists and the prison system is for the 1940s, late 40s. So... We're going to talk a, lot, a fair bit about Jimmy Stewart. So if those things sound interesting to you, then stay tuned after this crass commercial announcement. Are you interested in old school games? Would you like to attend an old school gaming convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota? Let's say from April 13th to April 16th of 2023. Well, I've got a way you can get some free tickets. If you look in the show notes, there's a link for a ticket giveaway to DaveCon. All you have to do is go fill that survey out, check that you heard about the survey through the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and you'll be in the drawing to get two tickets for DaveCon. If you can't go in 2023, the tickets will be honored for DaveCon 2024. There are a number of special guests that are going to be there, including Mike Carr, who did a lot of things for early TSR, Dave Wesley, a Bronstein fame, who's going to be running some Bronstein games there, going to be a great convention. I'm going to be running an star- early Star Trek game there using the fastest Star Trek. So come check it out. It's not just D&D, but it you know, primarily is, is going to be games like that. There's going to be an old school tournament there. So all you have to do is fill out the survey and check Nerds RPG Variety Cast and you'll be in the winning or be in the running to win those two tickets. But you have to get that in by no later than 24 November. That's U.S. Thanksgiving. And I need to clarify that because other countries have Thanksgiving too, but 24 November, 2022. Now, I want to have something a little bit more general here for the show. So for the show, what I'm going to do is if by 24 November, you reach out and send me a message, here are all the ways you can contact me or in the show notes. There's a Google voice number, a speak pipe. You can send a message to the podcast using the the website, you can send me an email, you can reach out to me on Discord, but send me a message, let me know what special guest you would like to see at DaveCon. And out of all the people that send me an entry, this is separate from the survey, but send me an entry by the 24th of November, I will take those names, randomize them, pick one out, and that one random winner will get a $20 drive through RPG gift certificate, and I will donate $25 to a charity for them. So, win-win, there's no negative to participating in this contest. Even if for some reason you're not interested in the tickets, you can enter my giveaway and you'll have a chance to get a drive-thru RPG gift certificate and give some money to a charity and, you know, what's the negative there? So, reach out, enter these contests, but time is running out. 
and so far there are only very few entries, so your chances of winning are very good. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator screaming is coming from inside the house. Hey, Jason, Midnight Boulevard sounds really cool. Um, I'm, it's interesting it uses a traveler system, but I was, while you were talking about it, I was thinking, you know, that Gangbusters game that I'd like to play that no one else wants to play with us? I think that could work using um, Traveler, that system. I was just thinking about some of the characters that were generated or that I kind of generated in that system. Um, alternatively, alternatively, we could play the Gangbuster system. Do you think that would be noir or what what genre is that? It could be. I, I feel like the um, definitely like the scenario, Little Big Town um, has, has a noir feel. So, so yeah, let me know. Maybe we can talk about that or play that one finally um, for this November noir thing. Anyway, really good uh, re review of Midnight Boulevard. It does sound interesting to play. I probably will pick it up. So you can uh, hopefully you'll get your commission and I'll talk to you later. Of course, that was Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Go check it out. Great podcast. Thank you for the kind words, Carl. I really like Midnight Boulevard. And I, let, let me be clear, I don't get a commission. Carl was joking about that. I, I've only ever done one episode because somebody is the creator of a product has reached out and said, hey, will you review this product and talk about it on your show or hey will you support my kickstarter it's all the same thing actually and i did talk about one product that was being kickstarted and i had the creator come on and actually i had eric salzweedle the omega 3d chicken coop podcast come on with me and we interviewed the the creator of this product and it was a good interview i and i enjoyed the conversation that kickstarter actually kind of went down in flames they had some issues. This was around the beginning of COVID and for a variety of reasons that they had a lot of problems with fulfillment and you know, that which, which is a shame, but, but that's the only one I've ever done. Whenever any other of my podcasts where you hear me talking about products and interviewing creators and things like that, it's because I've reached out to those creators. It's because I thought it was cool and I reached out to them on my own and said, hey, like, will you come on my podcast? I really like your product. Can we talk about it? And they've come on the podcast and we've talked. So it's it's not the fact, it's not me, or it's not, you know, me pimping out my podcast per se, right? I don't do that. I don't make money off this show. I mean, you hear me, you know, giving away gift certificates and give money to charity with the contests. And I've got the paid SpeakPipe account and all this stuff. And pay I pay for Zoom for this podcast. And all this podcast does is cost me money. I don't make any money off it. <laughs> I don't have a Patreon or I don't, you know, I don't make any money off this. Um, it just costs me money. Um, but that's okay. Cause I, I enjoy doing it anyway, but I do think that Midnight Boulevard, I think the traveler system is better suited to running these kind of games than an OSR system like BX. So the other game he's talking about is Mark Hunt's BX Gangbusters. And if you're not familiar with that, Mark Hunt reached out to 
the gentleman who made the original Gangbusters, a gentleman named Rick Krebs, and got permission to adapt the original Gangbusters to BX and republish it. Originally, he just wanted to publish adventure. Mark just wanted to publish adventures for the original Gangbuster system, which is a D percentile system. But then he ended up making this BX version of it. And I think the BX Gangbusters is perfectly fine. I, I'm not in love with it. It does things like, like style and, and how fancy your dress is affects your armor class because they had to have some way to do that, you know. And I think I would have just, you know, the higher level the character is, your level would come off your armor class, right? So a 10th level character would be minus 10 to their AC or plus 10 if you're using Ascending, right? Something like that. Um, or maybe not that high. Maybe every two levels you get a plus. So a, a 10th level character would be plus 5 to their AC. I don't know. Something like that. But whatever. That, that's not really that important. I, I personally, even though we were talking about using Interlock, the Cyberpunk 2020 system, for Noir last episode, and I think that would work really well because I think Interlock has nailed firearms combat. When we talk about cartridge firearms, you know, after the U.S. Civil War up to, you know, the near future, I think Interlock is one of the best systems for, for firearms combat. I really do. It's quick. It's deadly. It's loosely based on FBI statistics with a, with a bent towards the cinematic, and it's not too complicated. I, I'm really a big fan of Interlock for modern firearms um, for, you know, any kind of gunplay with cartridge firearms. But I, I I don't know. I think you could definitely do it, Carl. I don't think it'd be a problem. It wouldn't be that hard to adapt any of the BX Gangbusters modules or anything to adapt it right over to Midnight Boulevard. You could definitely use that system to run any kind of Gangbusters thing. I mean, Gangbusters is more cops and robbers, right? It, it, it it's, you know, it's, it's more where you talk like Bugsy, hey, copper, and, and all that kind of thing, and, um, if, if you want to do that sort of thing, um, you, you could definitely use, B so you can use any system to run noir, right? I mean, we have noir movie, look at Winchester 73 with Jimmy Stewart. Winchester 73 is a noir western, effectively, right? Um, you could do any genre with the noir sensibilities to some degree, although there are certain things about noir that that do limit it, and that's going to come up in a few in a call here by one of the Jews. So you, you're going to hear that here in a little bit on the podcast. So so I'll talk about that then. But I think you could use any game system to do to do noir because it's more the attitude, it's more the story you're telling. But the problem is the more heroic the characters are, or super heroic the characters are, the harder it is to do noir because Noir is normally average folks getting in a bad situation, getting way over their head. And as the game goes on, as the story goes on, they get deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, more and more and more over their head. And then eventually, usually, it's an unhappy ending. But that's affected by the Hayes Code, which is something we're going to talk about again later on in the show. For that to work in a game, you can definitely do it, but you need protagonists that are going to be really challenged and they're going to you know, get beat down and, and be more and more challenged as the game goes on. Uh, and I, and you could definitely do that with just about anything because it's more the attitude you're bringing to it and it's buy-in from the players to play into the tropes. But and, and it's the interpersonal relationships, which you can do relationship maps and do that kind of thing in any game system. You don't necessarily need game mechanics to do those things. So you, if, if you like the BX Gangbuster system, yeah, you could definitely run a noir system. I haven't read the adventure you're talking about, Carl, because 
as you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to playing it with you someday when we can find other players. <laughs> so I don't want to read it and ruin it. Um, I'm assuming from the title and from the little bit you told me, it's something like Red Harvest um, by Hammett, Dashiell Hammett, um, which is something I'm going to be talking about in a future podcast with Ray Otis. So look forward to that on one of our future System Sundays. But yeah, I, I, I think you can use any game to run it, but I think some games are better suited towards it. And yeah, so, but yeah, if you get, if we can get the players, I'm definitely up for BX Gangbusters, or if we want to convert it over to Traveler and use Midnight Boulevard, I'd be up for that. So let's go on to our next call. Hey, what's up, dude? So quick correction, when you were talking about your Palladium game, you mentioned that I, Joe Richter, was playing the troll, but you meant Joe Salvador. Uh, you later on talked about how I, Joe Richter, am playing the Changeling, which was right on. My very, very special boy. Holy crap, that's going to be an interesting character to play. Uh, <laughs> Mentalist doesn't have a whole lot of abilities at first level that will come in all that handy. But, you know, it, it'll be it'll be fun. And then secondly, awesome breakdown on... Whether or not Interlock, the Cyberpunk 2020 system, could work for Neo Noir or for Noir, um, yeah, man, that was awesome. I, I that would be fun. Um, noir is a cool setting. I haven't seen nearly enough noir movies, which leads me into my third point for this call: is black and white movies. Personally, I like black and white movies because for me, they're easier to follow to see. Um, because of the contrast and typically because in that time period they were just slower paced. There's not a whole bunch of jump cuts or anything. So yeah, I like black and white movies, man. Um, from an accessibility standpoint, they, for some folks are more accessible. So anyway, dude, have a good one and I will talk to you soon. Peace out. Hey, Joe, thank you for those kind words. That's, of course, Joe Richter of Hindsightless. And you're right, I misspoke. Joe Salvador of Raving Guy Games is playing the Troll Long Bowman, and Joe Richter is playing the Changeling Psionic, or Mind Mage, um, which, which ought to be interesting. You know, like I say, we have two characters of Psionic. Psionics are very widespread in the Palladium world, although I don't know if I'd like have all NPCs roll 40% of every intelligent being on the planet being Psionic. Well, that's not true, because not all races can, or species can be psionic, but I, I would limit it to mainly PCs and major NPCs having that chance for, for psionic powers. I don't know that every single villager in it, yeah, I don't know that 40% of all humans are psionic, although that would make a, you know, much higher powered world if you think about it. Um, it it's interesting to see where that game goes. We're, we're going to start up, like I mentioned last time, we're doing kind of a play-by-post. The characters are, the players are introducing their characters to each other now on the Discord, and we're going to do the preamble to the adventure, like the intro of the adventure where they, they're presented the mission and, and, and all the setup stuff. We're going to do all that on Discord, like play-by-post, and that way when we do the online session early next month, it'll be primarily, they'll be able to just get right into the adventure. So that ought to be a lot of fun. That actually makes sense, the accessibility part with black and white and all that. Now that you mention it in those movies and they tend to, you know, the pacing and the action isn't as frantic. You don't nearly have the amount of jump cuts and things that we have in modern movies. So 
I could definitely see where that might be a, a more accessible medium. Some of these are really great movies. I, I do highly recommend them. Um, so I, I hope you're, you're going to get a chance to check some out and enjoy them. So thank you, Joe. I really appreciate the call. And now, to emphasize the point of me mixing Joes up, here's another Joe. Hey, Jason. This is Decahedron Joe. You have too many Joes. I feel the need to differentiate myself. I'm really enjoying your film noir series of podcasts this month. And I just wanted to share my favorite noir movies. My favorite noir movie of all time, for whatever reason, is Double Indemnity. The storyline isn't that original, but Fred McMurray, you know, I'm used to Fred McMurray being the dad and my three sons and to see him in that role. I love it. And of course, Edward G. Robinson just makes the film. Anyway, my other favorite movie is The Postman Always Rings Twice. And now that I say that out loud, it dawns on me that they're almost the same plot exactly. Hmm. Again, it's an okay movie, but I like it a lot and has a great Hayes Code ending. A lot of people are down on the Hayes Code, but I love Hayes Code endings personally. And I don't think you can really have a proper noir without the code. Anyway, like I said, I... Oh, one more thing. You were mentioning Lee Brackett, and you said, like, the stuff she she wrote, but didn't she do the first draft for Empire Strikes Back? Or am I thinking of someone else? Anyway, uh, thanks for Noir November. Love your podcast, as always. Thanks. Bye. And remember, folks, if you sent a call in to Jason and you haven't heard it on this episode, have no fear. It will appear. Okay, the last call of the episode was from Joe, Decahedron Joe as he called himself. Um, actually, he and James have the Decahedron RPG podcast, and I really enjoy that podcast. There's a link in the show notes, go check it out. Um, they, they sit there and disagree on different things, like the latest episode is 17, Joe Hates Art. And Joe and James disagree about the benefit of art in game books, so it's kind of interesting. Now... As far as a couple things he mentioned, Lee Brackett indeed did write a very early draft of The Empire Strikes Back, in addition to tons of sci-fi, a bunch of other movies, um, so, some great noir movies and other things. Lee Brackett, the queen of science fiction, great, great author. Great catch there with The Empire Strikes Back. Now, you mentioned a couple movies here, and then you talked about The Hayes Code. So let's talk about each of these things. Double Indemnity is a great movie. As you mentioned, we get Fred McMurray in there. You didn't mention Barbara Stanwyck in there, who who's great. But yeah, double it's interesting because Double Indemnity, like you say, and The Postman always rings twice. Do you know with um, Lana Turner and James or John Garfield do kind of have a, a similar plot? But a lot of these movies have kind of a similar plot in them. Th those are both. Classics. I, I haven't been talking about the real classic movies here. Um, I did do an episode years ago <laughs> with Rob C. from Down the Heat podcast. It's in my backlog somewhere where we talk about noir films and all this. I'm sure we probably talked about these movies back in that episode a few years ago. But, you know, so I'm skipping, kind of skipping over the Maltese Falcon. I'm skipping over the Big Sleep. I'm skipping over Murder My Sweet. I'm, I'm, or, yeah, Murder, My Sweet's the American title for Farewell, My Lovely. Um, the Postman Always Rings Twice, Double Indemnity, DOA. DOA is another great one people need to check out. So I'm kind of skipping over those and talk about maybe 
a few that people haven't seen. That's kind of what I'm trying to do. But these are both classic, classic noirs, and people should check them out with, without a doubt. Now, you mentioned the Hayes Code, and the Hayes Code is interesting because for those that don't know, let me talk real quickly about the Hayes Code. So the Hayes Code was a, was a set of rules that the film industry, the United States film industry, let's be clear, this is a United States thing, that Hollywood f had to follow. It was, you know, put in effect in 1930. It wasn't really seriously enforced till 34. And it was weakened, you know, in the 50s, mid-50s, when we started getting a lot of foreign films in, and when the Supreme Court broke up the... So at one point, the studios controlled theaters. And so the studios, because they own the theaters, controlled theaters, they could control what films are shown in what theaters. Well, that was broken up by the Supreme Court I, I, sometime in the 50s, because, and that allowed foreign films to start coming in. And when that happened, of course, the foreign films didn't follow the Hayes Code. So because the foreign films weren't following these codes, and, but people wanted to see them, and they were, these foreign films were coming in, then the U.S. films started you know, fighting back and, and doing more things in you know, disobedience of the codes. And by the 60s, the code was basically a joke. By 68, it was officially um, not followed. It was officially, you know, dropped. So what, what was the Hayes Code? The Hayes Code was basically moral standards for films. People felt films were, you, you know, you had the, your moral decency brigade, and they felt they were, they, they didn't want films to present criminals in good light. They didn't want it to show what they called at the time sexual, sexual perversions. Um, they, you know, the Hayes Code is the reason you have, you know, the, the criminals always get locked up or lose at the end. The Hayes Code is the reason you have married couples sleeping in separate beds during films of this period, right? The Hayes Code is why you don't see excessive, like, blood and violence and gore, why you don't see nudity, things like that. Um, you, you know, the church was, was very much involved in the drafting of this code. Um, so, yeah, it, it's in there. And there are people that say that the the Hayes Code did force filmmakers to be more creative. So Casablanca is a film that's put forward as a film that's made better by the Hayes Code. And, and the Hayes Code definitely forced creative things because, you know, people are people, and you had all these th same things that they were trying not to show in film. All that stuff ha was happening in the, in the 40s, just like it was happening, it's happening today, right? And so you had allusions to all these kind of things, allusions to affairs, allusions to... But instead of just showing two people going at it in a graphic fashion, you know, having sex, you would have that illusion. You know, they pop the cork, they you know, show them drink champagne, and then you, you, you show them getting, you know, the guy putting his tie on with a lady sitting on the bed or something, right? Um, stuff like that. So you, the same thing with, you know, non-straight characters. You, you, you had to allude to these kind of things and, and same-sex relationships and things like that. You had to make allusions to You couldn't openly say it. So... Anyway, that's kind of what the Hayes Code is. If you go to Wikipedia or you go to YouTube, you get a much better scholarly discussion of the whole Hayes Code thing. But that's basically what the Hayes Code is. And the Hayes Code definitely affects the noir movies. And the, the original noirs, not neo-noirs. And that's one of the big differences. And neo-noirs are open up to showing nudity, showing that this other violence, having you know criminals win in the end, all these things, right? And, and that's a huge difference between the two. And that's why neo-noir really, you know, these later movies made after the Hayes Code wasn't being, while the studios weren't feeling that they had to follow the Hayes Code, that's why 
neo-noir needs to be a separate category because they include these items that aren't included in the original movies in the 40s and the 50s. And that creative filmmaking and that those constraints, um, I think, do add something to these movies. And it's also a generational thing, and it's a feeling thing. You know, these movies, the noir movies were made, at least the big era of the noir, really is after World War II. We had some noir movies made during World War II, right? This Gun for Hire happened during World War II, actually right at the beginning of World War II. But, well, the beginning of the U.S. involvement in the war, I should say. But, um, you know, a lot of these movies are after the war, so you're dealing with, you know, men coming back, you know, some of these soldiers come back broken, the experiences they're having trying to get back in society, they can't find their place. Now women have entered the workforce in a major way, you know, and that helps make the men feel, you know, like they've lost a place in society to some degree because women are doing a lot of the jobs men used to do, um, you know, so so it's it's throwing society, it's society trying to grasp at that, and and kind of a lot of the foundations of society changed a little bit after World War II, and, and so noir is dealing with that kind of time, and that's why some of these great neon wars also work, you, you know, like I mentioned last time, like Night Moves, where it ties into that post Watergate thing, where again our society's been kind of shaken to its foundations, you know, the ability to trust governments at you know at a low. And I know nowadays none of us trust government, and it's hard to <laughs> fathom, you know, that you might have trusted government ever, right? But, you know, that was the case. So, a anyway, I think the Hayes Code does have a very definite effect on these movies. And it's not always a bad effect, because, it, it you know, the creativity, it, it forces these filmmakers to follow. Although it definitely hurts some of these movies in some of these, you know, in some fashion, I think. But the true noirs, the original noirs... Are very much a product of the Hayes Code, and and I don't think they would be made the same or have the same impact without it. So I think Joe is right on that. So uh, again, Joe, thank you for that call. Really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, go check out their podcast. And one last thing before we move on from this part of the show, you know, you talk about the Hayes Code being essential, and what's funny is. There's at least one game out there that agrees with you 100%. And that is a game called Nerves of Steel. Now, I'm not reviewing Nerves of Steel in one of the System Sundays this month. I just don't have time to. It's a story game. And I don't say that in a negative sense. I, I just It describes itself. It says it's a film noir story game. And it's by Simon Peterson. And the English adaptation of the game is by Catherine... Raymond or Raman. Um, and there's a 2018 game. I think it was originally a, you know, it was a Swiss game originally, but, and it's an interesting game. I'll probably talk about it at some point, but like I said, I don't have, unfortunately don't have time to talk about it on one of the system Sundays, but it, um, I'm going to read you the section from it because it, it agrees with you. It, and, and again, I'm reading straight from the game here. For the purposes of playing the game, the most important part of the Hayes Code to observe is crime cannot pay. This rule shapes the end condition and serves as a balance to Silvertongue's special ability. And Silvertongue is one of the characters that you have in the game. It's basically the femme fatale character. The Hayes Code forbids things like swears, sex, illegal drugs, blood and gore, and so on. But also forbids things that are really problematic to forbid today, notably homosexuality and race mixing. One goal of using Hayes Code in the game is to discourage 
I'm sorry, to encourage the kind of creativity shown by the classic noir directors who are adept at including all these things, but with a veneer of plausible deniability, which is something I talked about. For example, we can use damn as a stand-in for much more serious swear words with everyone understanding what we really mean. And we show the girl combing her hair and the guy putting on his tie and there's only one bed in the room and it's unmade and we all know what they did, but they didn't show it, so maybe we can get it by the censors. And these two guys are partners and we all know what that means. However, some players may find that these rules make it harder to have fun. That's fine. There's a checklist in the play materials where you can modify the Hayes Code to your taste. And you can even use that to create a retina noir feel, like in Chinatown, which looks like a 30s movie, but has a very 70s sensibility. The literature of the period is also freer in the subject matter than the Hayes Code will allow. And, and things like Chinatown are what I was talking about when I was talking about neo-noirs. So the idea that the Hayes Code makes these things more interesting is also found in some of these games. Now, in Nerves of Steel, the big thing, one of the big things that game is, is you're narrating the entire game in character, 100%, and it's very much more telling a story together than it is rolling dice and, and all that kind of thing. In, in fact, you don't even use dice. It, you do have a deck of cards in there. But um, it, anyway, we're, we're not talking about Nerves of Steel, but, but the Hayes Code it is a, a big defining part of noirs, and I'm glad that Joe brought it up. What's the matter? Won't the pieces fit together? Some of them, but they make the wrong picture. Pieces never make the wrong picture. Maybe you're looking at them from the wrong angle. Remember the beginning of the month when Safer of Safer Fantasy Crafting called in and did an impression of Jimmy Stewart? And I said, we're going to get to Jimmy Stewart later in this month. Well, here we are. We just heard a clip of Jimmy Stewart and Helen Walker from... 1948's Call Northside 777, directed by Henry Hathaway. And even though Call Northside 777 is classified as a noir movie, it's really more of a docudrama. It's much closer to, I mean, this predates like The Innocence Project, I believe. I don't know when The Innocence Project started, but I I would have to think this predates it. Um, But in this, Stewart plays a reporter in Chicago. In fact, this is the first uh, movie full. Yeah, The Innocence Project, nineteen ninety-two, but this is the first movie fully filmed in Chicago. Interesting enough, but in this, he plays a reporter and he's investigating a man that's been sent up as a cop killer, and he eventually determines that yeah, this guy he believes this guy is innocent and he works to get him out of prison, and, and that's what this movie's about. So it's not really noir. It doesn't really hit the noir themes. I mean, you have like the corrupt police department and the guy against system, but this isn't really the story of the guy that he's trying to get out of prison. It's the story of Stewart trying to get the guy out of prison, right? Now, the the gentleman in prison is played by Richard Conte, who's in a lot of noir movies. Richard Conte is a good actor. Um, Definitely worth checking him out. The other actor that's really good in this is um, Lee J. Cobb, who you've seen in a bunch of different things. But, yeah, James Stewart is your, is your star in here. James Stewart, of course, this is after World War II because he served during World War II. He was one of the first actors to go try and enlist. He initially was not allowed to join because his body weight was too low, but he, he had his pilot's license. He eventually joined the Army Air Corps. During the course of the war, he went from private to colonel. 
and he stayed in the reserves after the war, finally retiring as a brigadier general, the highest rank held by any, you know, actor, any real actor. And, you know, Stewart's one of those icons of the era. Um, and I mentioned the Western noir movies, Winchester 73 earlier, Jimmy Stewart's in that. But anyway, and Jimmy Stewart was acting prior to the war. He left acting. I mean, he, you know, he, he had a number of roles prior to the war, but he left acting to join the service. And then he, you know, returned to acting after the, after the war. But anyway, th this is an interesting movie. It's not really noir. Like I say, it's more of a docudrama. But I think it's worth seeing because you see the tech level of this world. And, and some of these things are hard for us to really get our mind around, what it was really like in the 40s. And so this movie, we, you, you get to see a lot of the way everyday life was. And he's hitting the bars and, he, and he, you know, he, he's doing this research and we see the way prisons were in there and and this maybe isn't the you know you also had chain gangs and all during this time in other places but you, you look at this prison in there and this this filmed a real prison statesville illinois and and, and the the prison's really interesting and kind of gives you ideas like if you're going to do a prison break or something um when you when you watch this movie and, and he goes and visits the prison to go visit this guy's trying to get out you'll see a miniature model of the prison and you realize that where he goes into the dome, where or not the dome, but he goes in the building to go visit the cells. That's only one of many, of a number of buildings that size. I mean, the prison's huge, and and it's not like it's any prison in Illinois, right? Um, but you you get to see the tech levels of things. You get to see the way the the police kind of try to cover up, and but the way files are held, and and it's a really interesting movie from from that point of view. Um, the lady whose voice we heard. Helen Walker, she is interesting. She, unfortunately, tragically, you know, became an alcoholic. She had some problems. She, I, I don't want to make light of of anybody's death. She had picked up some hitchhikers, one a soldier named Robert E. Lee. Um, that, that was the, the gentleman's name, actually. Um, but she picked up three hitchhikers and was driving drunk and flipped the car and, and, Lee died, and the other two were severely injured, and so that was a, you know, big problem with her career. She was found um, negligent. She was charged with manslaughter, but later that was later dismissed for lack of evidence. She kept acting after that. Her last acting role was actually The Big Combo in 55, which is, you know, another film noir um, with Richard Conte again in it. And, and Cornell Wilde, of course, Cornell Wilde, famous actor, famous um, director, did all kinds of things. I, I don't know. Well, let, let, let's not go down that rabbit hole, I guess. <laughs> um, but it, yeah, if it, Cornell Wilde actually is a, a, a pretty interesting cat on his own. He he did some uh, a lot of interesting movies that we we like genre movies. You know, he's in The Norseman. Um, which, of course, is that one with Lee Majors. <laughs> He's in The thing I'll always remember Cornell Wilde from, of course, is The Naked Prey, where he's, you know, chased across Africa. And, and the Naked... I've talked about The Naked Prey on, on this podcast before. Um, but, but anyway, point is that poor um, Helen Walker, not to excuse her drinking, not excuse her drink driving, and, and obviously the the pain and suffering she caused the the families and, and all the, the people that were hurt during that accident. But 
You, you know, another tragic Hollywood story, right? Um, she's actually really good in this. I actually quite like Helen Walker. Um, I, I think Stewart does an okay job. I, I think I like Lee Cobb a little bit better, but Stewart does a good job in here. And you have that kind of witty banner in the movie, but the movie's very much more a docudrama. And it, but it's interesting because you see the lie detector. And the way the lie detector test is given in this movie is pretty much the exact same way it's given today. Well, I, I shouldn't say that. It's been, geez, it's been that long. So it was early 2000s the last time I took a lie detector. And it, it, when I took a lie detector test in the early 2000s, it was the exact same way they're, they're showing it here. Maybe it's changed in the last 20 years, but I, I've got a feeling it's probably still done the same way. And, and what's interesting here is the guy that does the lie detector test in this movie is actually the guy that invent, invented the lie detector. <laughs> so you actually get um, Mr. Keeler himself is here doing the lie detector test. That's the guy that invented the machine. And, you, you know, we, I, I, we won't get in the weeds on how reliable the lie detector, the polygraph is and whether it should even... Well, it's not even admissible, really, in court, right? It all, it, anyway, let's not get into the idea of the polygraph here. But it's interesting because it shows that. It shows early technology where they're, they're taking in, in, in effectively early fax technology where they're sending photographs across the wire, things like that. So it gives you a good idea of the tech level. And, and I think the movie is interesting to watch from that point of view. But I don't think it's overly a great movie as far as the, uh, um, as far as the storytelling goes. But, but I think Call Northside 777 is an interesting movie from a number of po points of view. And I promised you I'd have, talk about Jimmy Stewart this month, so there you go. But if you're curious what like the tech levels are this time, obviously because you're going to run one of these games or you're going to run you know, even a different game in the 40s or 50s, watching a bunch of these movies is important so you can kind of get a feel for it. And this one is definitely a must-watch for police work and journalism and to get an idea of the tech levels that they're dealing with in, in this time frame. So with that, I'm going to cut off the podcast because I've been talking way too long and there are going to be a bunch of other podcasts coming out tomorrow on Cerebrivore. It's going to be an interesting episode. I've got two DMs from the 1980s that DM'd AD&D back in the 80s and they're DMing today and they're going to talk about you know, what, what lessons they've learned from running AD&D and their impressions AD&D. And they, they don't necessarily attack modern DMs, but they, they, they feel that some things with gameplay have been lost. And so they talk about that. So I'll, I'll let you, or some, you know, styles of gameplay, you know, aren't really seen today compared to the way they were seen back then. So it, it's an interesting discussion. Um, and, and I'll let you make your own judgments on that after you listen to it. And then I'll be back on System Sunday this week with a special guest. So you have that to look forward to. And then next week during the week, I'll be back with more phone calls and more jibber-jabber about other things. So until then, I want to thank all my callers. I want to thank you, the listener, for taking time to tune in. I want to thank Ray Otis for the Coffee Cup Clip Art, TJ Drennan for the wonderful music, and I just want to ask everybody to be excellent to each other. Who's on the phone? 
at your auntie or a joker by your spouse, but the operator's screaming it's coming from inside the house. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Well, the audience is pretty sure he took a pretty head, and the only question left is if I better shoot him dead. Bring on the gold, bring on the gold. I want some more, bring on the gold. Well, the butcher is a dustman and your moil is by a tipper, and I'm assuming that's your partner back there in the wood, chipper. Don't look away. Zombies are rising and the world is gone to hell. We're living for the dying and we're dying for the train wreck.